Welcome to Kitchen Table, candid conversations about sex, relationships, and being human. I'm Brittany Palacastro. And I'm Nick Anthony. And today we're talking to Hala Corey about managing anxiety within relationships. Mm. Hey, Nick. Hey, Brittany. What's up? <laughs> Life. Life is up and down and up again and down again and up and up and up. <laughs> That's what's going on right now. Wow. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> I think that pretty much encapsulates us. It's like an up and down roller coaster life. We have our highs, we have our lows, and we do our best to, you know, work it out as much as we possibly can within those spaces. That's pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people are like, yeah, that's what it is. Dead on. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what we're talking about today is kind of a balm for that. Right. So we're talking to Halakori, who I have known for many years. She is a co-founder of Off the Men Into the World, which I've done a lot of work with over the years. And she's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, you've never met her. Looking forward her. to connecting. Yeah, she's a somatic counselor. So has a lot of understanding about trauma, which is one of my favorite topics. It, is. it really is. It really, really is. You know, as someone who works with people around sex and relationships. I think trauma is a big part of all of that and the way that we show up and the way we feel comfortable in our bodies and safe in our bodies and safe in relationship. We're going to talk about this, but Hala has a new book out called Peace from Anxiety. And there's more name to the book, which we'll say later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm in a place right now today that I'm like, I want to talk about this stuff. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to doing that. Me as well. Let's do it. Welcome to Kitchen Table. I'm Brittany. I'm Nick. And today we are talking to Hala Khoury. So Hala has been teaching yoga and the movement arts for over 25 years and has been doing clinical work and trainings for 15 years. She is a yoga teacher and somatic counselor interested in using the power of embodied practices to heal trauma in individuals and communities while addressing the impact of social injustice on all of us. She's an adjunct professor at Pitzer College, co-founder of Off the Mat Into the World, and the author of the new book, Peace from Anxiety, Get Grounded, Build Resilience, and Stay Connected Amidst the Chaos. Welcome, Ha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you and to dive into this conversation. So congratulations on your new book. It's really exciting. Thank you. I have some questions about it because the title just really makes me want to dive in because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yes, I would like to get grounded. Yes, I would like to build resiliency. Yes, I would like to stay connected amidst the chaos. So would I. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You and me both. <laughs> Where did the inspiration for this book come from? So the original inspiration from this book came from my students and my clients asking me to write it, like essentially saying, can you put, you know, the wisdom, all the stuff we've learned from you in a place where we can like share it with our family members, right? Share it with friends who need it. So it's not just available to folks who can like show up in one of my workshops, right? Or in the therapy room, so to speak. So I feel like the book is like every smart thing I've ever thought or said for the past 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> It's done. I got nothing else to say. <laughs> there you go. It's packaged. Right. It's a culmination of 
you know, a couple of decades of really integrating somatic social justice, trauma healing in groups and in communities. And it really came as a response, basically from the community saying like, we need this information in one place because we want to share it. And that was the impetus. Done and done. Yeah, that's really beautiful. What does it mean to have peace from anxiety? Can we have peace from anxiety? You know, I've, I've often thought that the title should have been peace with anxiety. Interestingly, I never struggled with anxiety until my early 40s. When it hit me and like, I did so much work and I already had so many tools. And, you know, for me, it wasn't about not being anxious. It's about not being afraid of being anxious. It's the peace with it. And also our anxiety, our depression, our pain is a, such a doorway into depth. I know you know that. And I think that when we resist that depth because we want some sort of semblance of equilibrium, that's really where our suffering is. It's in that like space of resistance. Yes. <laughs> Feeling that? I know people who do that. The exact thing you just said. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying you do that, but <laughs> all those other yeah, people. Yeah, I'm like, I'm that. like, interesting. You know, but like, it's just, I'm doing my work. I'm trying to show up as, as thoughtfully as possible. And I'm not like putting any, uh, you know, punctuation at the end of that sentence. It's open and it's dot, 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 dot. And it's just like, we're waiting. What else is going to show up? <laughs> but when you said that, I was just like, mm, yeah, I know people who do that who mm. don't want to address it, who want to basically, I want to pretend like it doesn't exist. And I want to try to find things that ground me in this reality that I've created mm -hmm. for myself. I can avoid this and not face it head on. And in conversation, I hear, <laughs> I hear from the, this person I'm thinking about in particular, the pain and responses. And even when they say something, you're just, I'm just like, whoo, did you hear what you just said? Like, that's some powerful shit you just like expressed. And it doesn't really feel like you're, you're sitting with it. It's just like, uh-huh. Yeah. And it's just back to distracting thing. And that pushes your buttons. It pushes my buttons so much. <laughs> well, I think it's hard when we, sometimes we can see clearly, right? We're like, Hey, like go a little, right? I took my kids to the theme park, to a roller coaster park, and I decided to do one of the roller coasters. And, you know, when I got on, I was like, I said to the kids, this is simulated danger. Like, it's not actual danger. And they're like, yeah, you're ruining it. You're ruining it. Right? <laughs> and as I got on, I thought, this machine is designed to keep me safe. Now, that's not going to be true for things in life. But I thought I could be on it and be resisting. Or I could just go with the flow and I like breathe and I close my eyes. And to me, like roller coasters are a training ground for my anxiety because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's appropriate to just let go and trust the flow of life. Not all the time, right? I was also recognizing how privileged I am to feel that life is designed to keep me safe because that is not true for so many people, right? So with that caveat for each person, where in your anxiety can you let go a little bit? There's enough real things that aren't keeping us safe. We add on top of it our own suffering. And so the book really invites people to think critically about what can you change and what can't you change? And my hope was, you know, I think a lot of self-help books are designed for the people that the roller coaster is designed to keep them safe. So it's like, let go, trust the universe, you'll be fine, right? That's if you're walking in a black body or a trans body or you're disabled, the world is not designed to keep you safe and you should not let go. You should maintain some vigilance. I attempt in the book to think about all the different readers so that folks who really should be afraid when they walk out the door don't feel like they're doing something wrong and still feel empowered to use tools to work against that. What a gift <laughs> to be able to meet people where they're at. Because I think that big piece is to not feel 
like they're doing something wrong if, well, well, I don't feel safe or, you know, like we're both been yoga teachers for many years. And the idea of someone saying to someone, me, say me saying, which I don't do anymore, but saying like, this is a safe space. Well, I might think it's a safe space, but there might be someone in the room that doesn't think it's a safe space. Mm. And can I do my best to create safety? Can I do my best to let people feel seen and heard? Like, how can I actually allow people to feel that way? And also this idea, and I'm just using yoga as an example. Oh, I'm here. I'm supposed to feel, I'm not supposed to feel anxious. I'm supposed to be relaxed. I don't feel this way. What's wrong with me? I'm not doing this right. I'm sucking at this. And then it, and it spirals. The voices. Right? Like if we're just like, I'm up there being like, and I don't, I don't even really teach open classes anymore, but for so many years, you know, it's up there like, oh yeah, this is how you should feel. It's like, no, you feel however the fuck you want to feel. Yeah, Bring it all. There's no shoulds yeah. at all in living. <laughs> yeah. We had someone on and um, behind him was a picture and it said, your rage is sacred. As I'm saying this to you now, that just came up of like, whatever you've got, however you feel, that's your experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I often say when I'm training yoga teachers, some people will get in touch with their rage and their grief through yoga. They'll be embodied enough to feel it. And can we help them stay resourced enough in their bodies to stay with whatever's emerging without having to run away? That to me is the yoga. I always say yoga is our learning to be with discomfort without being overwhelmed. That's the yoga. And yes, the days that it's blissful is wonderful, but we don't know where folks are at on that day. And there's days I need to go to yoga to feel my pain because I've been disconnected and distracted. That's the yoga, in my opinion. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. You know, and something you said in the beginning, we're still at the beginning, but the very beginning around you didn't start feeling anxiety until you were in your 40s. You know, I connect with that in a sense that more recently, just turned 42 in April, and the deepest healing work I've done has been in the last year and a half, uprooting a lot of trauma that I didn't even know existed. And I've been doing this work for now 20 years and in lots of different ways, mm -hmm. so many levels and layers. And there's this idea that we're, well, this shouldn't be the case. I should be done. I shouldn't feel these feelings or these, uh -uh. you know, and I mean, some of the biggest trauma responses, experiences I've had in this last year, and it's been really freaking hard, <laughs> you know, and we're all in different places on how we can hold that stuff. And so my experience, and I know this is lots of people's experiences in different ways, is thank God for the yoga and for me, right? It took that long for me to actually even be able to hold some of the information that my body was holding for all this time. And that's a miracle. And there's privilege in that. And I acknowledge that, that I've been able to do that. But wow, like here I am in my forties after doing this work for so long. And now that what feels like the big shit is coming up and I've been able to do that, right? And so I think acknowledging where we're at and that it, there's no like, there's no roadmap necessarily for where we're supposed to be is just so helpful. People want that roadmap we so do. bad. That, of course like, we do. You hear like some like podcast conversations where like, how do I get over this breakup that just happened <laughs> a month ago? What do I do? I'm like, you feel it. 
just sit and be sad. Be sad as shit about it. Mm. Like cry your face off. Talk to friends. Like just like step into yourself as much as you possibly can and also be with the feeling. And just the idea of just simply being with my emotions has helped me so much and calmed my anxiety down so much over like, you know, the last five years, give or mm-hmm. take. And you've inspired a lot of my healing work and pushed me to do that <laughs> stuff based off of this, me watching you and being like, oh, Chris Jordan, let me, I'm about to get left behind. Let me work on this yeah. for a second. Like you challenge yourself and push yourself like no one I know. And your bounce back and recovery times are like, not the quickest, but like you have these moments where like, we'll be in conflict. And then you'd be like, 50 minutes later, be like, I'm good. I'm just like, I'm still processing. I'm still processing. And that is my work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've had our battles in that Absolutely. space. And you'll be like, what's wrong? What's going on? I'm like, well, I'm still kind of, it's passing through. It's been five minutes. Why aren't you done? Hurry up, hurry up. Yeah. I'm just like, give me a second for God's sakes. I just want to give you a moment to live in this. And it has to leave my body. And then maybe some random bird flies by. And I'm just like, oh, look at that parakeet. That's amazing. And then we're, we're back on it. I just need like a little bit of time mm-hmm. to settle into my feelings. And that's okay. I'm not even trying to defend it at all. It's just like we are in different places and oh, mm-hmm. it, it just, the, the acknowledgement that we are moving through things is just the biggest part of it. And even when we're in spaces where we're, we're feeling like we were, we just want to re- react. Someone cuts you off in traffic and you're just like, oh, motherfucker, why did you do that? And like, you know, like, but it's just like, oh, wait, this person's probably going through some, some stuff or someone yells at you or your friend mm-hmm. gets upset with you based off of you saying something. It's just like, we're all going through different stuff. Anyone is in any given moment. And it's nice to honor that. Like, oh, word, you're upset. Take your time. Be where you are. Get back to me when you can. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Life. With all this in mind, Hala, you know, this idea that we all have different stages of our healing. We all have different acknowledgements of where we are. We might not even know where we're at at a particular moment. And what we do know oftentimes is that we're in pain or that we're suffering or that we're uncomfortable. And then we get in relationships <laughs> and then we're like, oh, hi, person. I love you, or I want to be your friend, or you're my mother, or you're my child, or, you know, and then that happens. And then, so we have like two or more people that, you know, have their stuff. They might know about it. They might be working actively to heal it. They might not be. They might be in the middle. Like, who knows? Mm -hmm. And then we have to like do stuff together. (laughs) Figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just gave you like a big, like ball of like tangled (laughs) yarn. (laughs) Here, Hala, can you untangle this yarn ball, please? Good luck with that. Here you go. (laughs) Well, you know, I think that we heal in relationship. We're relational beings. And I think that the self-help world has been infected by this like individualism of like, if you don't love yourself, no one's going to love you. Like, I think that's the most awful thought. Like we learn love in relationship and we have to be able to be messy and break down and repair and do exactly what you just described versus like, let me wait till I'm perfect. Then I'm going to take a risk with another human being. So it is really messy. And I think, you know, I want to see, and I feel like this is what you all are doing is like, I want to see more conversations about how messy it can be, what repair looks like versus some idealized idea that we get ourselves in this perfect state. Then we like find the perfect person and we live happily ever after. Like that doesn't exist. Every relationship helps you evolve, right? Romantic relationships, children, whatever it is. And so I think the hardest is when one person is committing, committed to doing the work and the other person is committed to like not doing the work and staying in denial. Like those relationships are really limited. And sometimes those are not our chosen relationships. It might be with family members. And so then our work is like, how do I honor where they are and like love them without needing them to change? 
which is really, really hard. And then in our chosen relationships, how do we, you know, one thing I think about a lot, especially like being married for 15 years and having two kids is like, how do you like stay awake? How do you not just like go to, to your default with each other? And sometimes the default is fine, you know, but sometimes it's like a repeated trauma pattern. Yeah. And so in the book, I talk about our ecosystem of relationships. I talk about like the inner circle, some are chosen, some are not. Right. And then we have like our broader community. Then we have like maybe our neighborhood, like out into the world. And in my life, I've always thought, well, the the deep relationships are the only one that matters. Like I'm going to ignore my neighbors. I don't have to say hi to the like barista at my coffee shop. Like those are not significant. Right. And I kept my world really small. And, you know, and I think it's partly like being young, being like pretty in the way society, you know, thinks is pretty and like living in New York City. And like, I'd walk down the streets just being like, look, like just, you know, men just literally like just ogling at me. And so I became so shut down when I was out in the world because it didn't feel safe. You know, I'd get followed. So I had years of like, I'm only going to be open with my safe people. And everybody else was like invisible and inconsequential. And I didn't have this like biodiverse ecosystem of relationships. It was like, there was very strict code. Some people could be in and you were either in or out. And, you know, when I met my husband, like he's the kind of guy who walks down the street and he's saying hi to everybody. Everybody's like, I saw Paul and blah, blah, blah. Whereas I'm like hiding and grimacing, you know? <laughs> and, you know, partly Paul is a six foot five black man. So he's also like, I'm safe. Hey, I'm really friendly. Don't be afraid of me. Right. So we both had our defenses, right? Really different defenses right? So I could also appreciate that those were our survival mechanisms. And I also could appreciate that like the beauty side of that is like Paul got along with everybody and like he made all these friends in the neighborhood, right? I was like, I want to be a little bit more like Paul, you know? And it's been easier now that I'm almost 50 because I am not objectified in the same way. I a little bit miss those days, but very little. (laughs) I feel safer out in public, but I've been like, oh, it's like really nice to talk to the person walking their dog down your block to feel connection these different kinds of connections, just the warmth of that. I know my UPS driver's name, right? And that he likes my dog. Like, how do we build a biodiverse ecosystem of connection and understand our different expectations? Like, I don't need to like agree with everything my neighbors think, but I'll go grab their mail if they need it. Like we have trust on that level. Maybe I don't want to go out to dinner with them because they're kind of boring, but it doesn't matter. I don't need that from them. So I've been thinking a lot about that, building this biodiversity of relationships. It's important. It really is important. It's just be nice to people. (laughs) Like be nice to people. And yeah, whatever happens, happens. And understand that not everyone's going through the same stuff as you, or it's not in the same place in terms of their overall healing overall. And also I think that like, we're so divided, like social media has made us so divided that it's like an act of resistance to be like, I'm going to get along with a bunch of people today. Now, it doesn't mean we're not confronting harm. It doesn't mean we're being passive, but also means that I don't need you to agree with everything in order to feel connected to you. I love that. I like this idea of, I don't know if levels is the right word, but it feels like the different levels of connection, like getting someone's mail or, you know, like we recently had our neighbor be like, oh, like you were away and a package came. So we took it in our house and here's the package. Mm -hmm. Or they have this like tent tarp thingy. It's a canopy. And like when it rains, like sometimes it like flips over and it's Mm -hmm. like super intense. So like Nick and I have been outside in like the pouring rain, like taking it down for them. You know, I don't know if we'll ever like share a meal with them or 
they've invited us over to their house, but that's probably not going to happen. But, you know, I think I'm connecting with that in a different way of like that you're saying, like it doesn't, yeah, that makes sense too, because we do want to make sure the people that we open up to in a much deeper way can hold that and can have space for that and that there is safety in that. Yeah. And we can also, that doesn't mean that we have to be completely closed to just sharing a moment with someone. Yeah. And I used to think, well, no, I can't trust them if they don't have the same politics I do. Or, and again, there's definitely people whose politics are dangerous to my family and myself. So I have to be careful. But I'm in Southern California, like where I am is a little bit of a bubble. Yeah. Like temper our expectations. And it makes the world feel just a warmer place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> Okay. So we're there on that level of how we like relate to maybe to the world and to neighbors and to people. And so now let's take it deeper into how we're connecting with people who we love, people that we're, let's just go into relationship. Let's like romantic relationship and maybe familial relationship and how we meet those people (laughs) where they're at while meeting ourselves where we're at in anxiety or depression or whatever they're going through, whether they realize it or not, that feels trickier. I'm reading a really great book on mental health and how our mental health care system is broken. And, you know, really the theme of the book, and at first I was like, not sure I'd resonate with the book because it was written by the guy who was the head of the NIMH and he worked for Obama. So very sort of medical system of mental health that I have you know a lot of critiques of. But essentially he's like, this is a crisis of care. People need to be able to be in community and the real problem is loneliness. And I was like, oh my God, yes. And he made a really important point, which is, and he's talking about people with what, what we call serious mental illness. So people living with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder who have psychoses, like who like, it's very hard for families, anybody listening or any of us who've had or experienced ourselves like serious mental illness. Oftentimes families don't know what to do with that, right? It's like, we're not equipped. And we talked about this place in Italy where there's this town where people with serious mental illnesses can live and they get really good treatment, but they get jobs, they get community, they feel a sense of purpose. And again, it's this idea of like, can we be in relationship with each other when we're broken? We don't need you to be fixed. And the the extreme example is like, can I be in relationship with you if you're like seeing things and talking to things and you're paranoid, like where I'm not, we're not in the same reality. And like, so extrapolate from that to like the smaller things, like, oh, we had a miscommunication, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what (laughs) does it look like? I remember having a conflict with one of my best friends a while back, a while back. And the details don't really matter, but I was like, really upset at the way she was handling it. And I was talking to another friend and I was like, I don't know if I can still be friends with her. She's getting this wrong. And he was like, our people get things wrong all the time and we still love them. And I was like, I can still love her and like think she's really wrong and be mad at her. And I could feel like I had this weird feeling of like, well, you don't get to be in my inner circle unless you're getting it all right versus I really disagree with that part of you. And I don't know if you're ever going to learn it. And I love you and you're not doing anything to harm me. So you know, I can still love you even if it's not perfect. And so, you know, more and more people are really like living with and struggling with mental health issues. And what does it look like to be in relationship with each other in our brokenness, in our beauty? That's really hard. It's really messy. It's really, really messy. And I think about that a lot in my marriage. I'll speak for myself. Like how many of us are detoxing from these like stupid fairy tales, you know, of like, oh, then you meet the person and you live happily ever after, you know? We never see like the therapy and the whatever. You just see them like walk off into the sunset, and, like <laughs> yeah. all the movies and all the things. And, you know, how many of us <laughs> mm-hmm. have to also grapple with this 
fantasy, but actually what does it look like to be in a relationship with another human being who's flawed and who's going to fuck up? And what does it mean to stay connected while we're grappling with this? I remember, you know, our, my, our couples therapist was like, okay, now you've identified your pattern. So when you're in the pattern, the enemy is not the other person. It's the pattern, right? So you got to band together. You know, I say this in social justice work. I say, none of us alive today created white supremacy and patriarchy. So, but we're all enacting it, right? But how do we stick together to change that thing rather than be mad at each other? It's the same thing. How do we stay together as we're trying to heal? How do we stay together as we're trying to heal? Now <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer that question. <laughs> I do want to speak to what you just said. And then that question is <laughs> still rings true. Mm-hmm. It's so hard because then we have our own parts, right? And our own, you know, and I do a lot of parts within my own healing, which has been really helpful. There's those parts within myself then that are like, I need to feel safe. Is this safe, right? And um, one of the biggest tools, healing opportunities for me was to be able to learn how to resource safety for myself and to be able to recognize, can I have acceptance for someone else and meet them where they're at and recognize that maybe all these needs I thought I needed from them, I actually can meet myself, right? Which is such a gift. Yeah. And I think it's about nuance, right? It's like, How do we develop a vocabulary and a practice to do what you just did? Okay, let me just check in. What if this is mine? What if this is theirs? What do I need from them? Where can I resource myself, right? And knowing that that answer also might change sometimes, right? Like I remember when my husband, the first time he was leaving for a long trip, he was going to be gone for three months and we went on a walk. He said said to me, I hope you're going to be okay. I said, baby, I'm always okay without you. What you need is for me to think I might not be okay with you. Like Mm. the way I deal with him leaving is I don't need him anyways. Like I'll be fine. Right. And I was like, my work is to be like, oh, I'm sad you're leaving versus it's okay that you're leaving. I don't care. I'm fine without you. That's my defense against my own vulnerability. And so our ability to, again, to meet each other where we're at and to recognize the word that comes up is love, right? And I think love can mean a lot of different things. Like it doesn't have to mean being okay without like, you can be like, I don't like the way you're behaving or I don't like the way I was treated or, you know, I think that that's really important. And it also can be accountability and it can also be recognizing, I think for me, an important part of it is in relationship to loving myself is being able to own my part. You know, I say own, like acknowledge my peace. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that accountability, you know, I love the work of Mia Mingus, who's an activist and a writer, and they talk about running towards accountability versus accountability, meaning you're in trouble, right? Or, and in safe relationships, it doesn't get used against you, right? We're able to sit down rather than like, you did this, you did this, right? And again, there's a fine line. They don't want to be a punching bag and not hold others accountable. But, you know, I do I feel like if we can both be committed to running towards accountability together, I know that in my marriage, it can dissipate tension so quickly, right? If I start a conversation with like, I'm really aware of what I have done to create this dynamic and I want to take ownership of that pretty much 99% of the time that he wants to talk about his part versus let me tell you the 27,000 things you did wrong and I'm going to give you a list. Then he goes into defense, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. Mm, yeah. That really resonates. 
this conversation is making me connect with the fact that we're all operating in the same algorithm, like a loke, dope ass human, mm-hmm. poet, all the things. Uh-huh. Love them so much. But we're all operating off this algorithm and we're all in it in different places and we're responding to it in different ways mm-hmm. across the gambit, no matter what. If I'm in a JoJo place and you're like, upset in a way, you're responding to it in, in a different way than I am. Mm-hmm. And the best that I can do in any of my relationships is to own how I'm showing up so I don't repeat that. Or mm-hmm. and maybe I may repeat it, And but like all this, the idea of owning what I'm doing is huge, huge. And in the last few years, I've not wanted to interact with people who aren't able to do that. Mm-hmm. But even in this conversation, it's just mm-hmm. like, maybe I, I should be open to being <laughs> in those spaces. Like, instead of not be on a, you know, soapbox, just like, meh, meh, meh. I am better than you guys and you should be doing it. There's just validity within it all. And I just want to hold space for it all. Like, let your love be imperfect. Like, just let it be imperfect. There's no perfection. There really isn't. Like, what? No. We're chasing this. I'm a recovering, like, movie romantic. Like, it's just like, <laughs> ooh, rainwash me. Like, I was like, ooh, I'm going to run in the rain and rock a boombox on somebody. He's done that. To- he say anything to someone. <laughs> We've talked about this on the podcast. He has say anything to someone. I did, it. I did say anything. Like, nah, like, you have to really, really be <laughs> as mindful as you possibly can. Because we're all just trying to, you know, we're all just strangers trying not to bump into each other. And, like, it's just, yeah, we could bump every now and then. And it's just like, oh, okay, that's, that's different. <laughs> I like, your shade is different than my shade. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Let's exchange our shades real quick and see what's going on. Yeah, like let like breathe, breathe into it. Keep saying we've been together for twelve years. I've skipped over the eleventh Feel, year. Feels like twelve. It's weird. I don't know. We've been together for eleven years. We just <laughs> celebrated our eleven year anniversary, and I've said I keep saying like we've been together for twelve years. So I don't know why I'm like really fixated on the twelve. We've been together for eleven years, and yeah, I think <laughs> we've gone through a lot of those ups and downs of feeling of mating to feel seen and heard in order to feel safe mm-hmm. and you providing that in a different way and me getting upset about that, <laughs> you know, because I needed it. And a lot of our conversations with Nick and I would be like, what's this really about? Oh, like, oh, I know what it's about. It's about me not feeling seen and heard in this moment. <laughs> like, I know <laughs> it's not about the book or it's not about the shoe. It's not about the, it's not about the, it's yeah. about me not feeling seen. Like, I know that. Oh yeah, that's a given. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am still like pouting or upset or triggered, right? You know, I often say to folks, it's like, we can know something in our head but our body didn't get the memo, right? So like your head could be like, this is about this, but your body's like, no, but it's about the shoes or what you said or this thing, (laughs) right? And you know, like one thing I do in my relationship too is like, I name both. I'm like, I know like you didn't mean to hurt me and I'm really mad because I feel, it feels this way, right? Even though I know that that's not true, that's how I'm feeling. So I'm not gonna make you necessarily responsible for that, but I'm gonna let you know what's going on. So if you feel me, you know, triggered or upset. We have this conversation a lot around money stuff, right? My husband is like the visionary. He's like, we're going to do all this stuff. I'm like, but what about the Amex bill? You know, like (laughs) practical in the weeds. Right. And so I can feel when he's like talking, like we're millionaires and I, my heart starts to race and I'm like, he's so irresponsible, blah, blah, blah. Right. (laughs) And I can pause and be like, we both hold two different parts of the vision. How do we collaborate? Because if I respond to his dreams with, we can't afford it, he doubles down, right? So like he recently had, he has this dream, we're going to buy land and yada, blah, right? And I was able to say to him, 
That makes me really scared. I have no idea where the money's going to come from. And I want to be open to your dream. So I want to talk about it more, right? Like, how do we hold both? Like the, the simple acknowledgement within that. I like, felt that. Yeah. Like, just did it. Like nonviolent communication. Like, <laughs> I hear you. This is what's going on here <laughs> and here for me. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I still want to be here. I still want to hear what you have to say. And I still want to try to meet you where you are in this mm-hmm. space. It needs to, hap- needs to happen in this way. It's the yes end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just the way that you put it, because it's like, yes, like I do want to support your dream. I want to hold space for that. I want to see you. So it's your seeing and hearing both of you at the same time. Yeah. And I can acknowledge how I'm feeling. I don't have to minimize it or pretend it's not there. I can hold both. Like, I really want to say no right now because part of me thinks this is so ridiculous. And that's that part. And I want to get to a place where I'm excited. And so I want to stay open. You know, I feel like when we can do that in relationships, again, it's that complexity of we're going to hold both, like the both and, and that's like the messiness of being in relationship together. You know, if it's not messy, sometimes I don't think we're doing the work. Someone's not speaking up. Mm-hmm. It's, not. <laughs> it's not clean, especially with long-term relationships, no, yeah. the amount of work and just the constant evolving and moving in tandem in life and and sometimes not in tandem. Sometimes not in tandem and like having right. a catch up and like leaning on one another and like anyone that says like, oh, it's, it's 50-50. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes it's not it, those, even. those numbers may be off. They may be 100. 90, and 10, 90, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You gotta, exactly. Got to play to your, your strengths. But the, the most we can hope for in this life is uh, that we meet people who are able to cope with the things that we do without trying too hard. Like, that point blank, because we all got our shit. Everyone mm-hmm. has shit, period. Like, be very clear. Like, no one's coasting through life and it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Even in privileged spaces, it's just, we have our weight and we're all trying to like wrestle with like uh, personalities and personas that we, we've established for ourselves. And uh, it's all constantly moving and constantly changing. Like, you have to reiterate and Tetris it out and lock those blocks in differently sometimes. Tetris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love that game. We have to Tetris life. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the, the, the skinny one thingy's coming, dun, the little box, dun, and then he's dun, not going to fit. Dun, ah! dun. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me want to play Tetris. It's fun. <laughs> and so how do we take this into, you know, when I think about relationships and I think about connecting with people, meeting people where they're at, sex, uh, consent, not necessarily knowing what someone's holding, what kind of trauma they're holding, what kind of space they're holding. What does that look like? You know, even just from a standpoint of anxiety, like we don't know how anxiety shows up in other people, right? And even sometimes our partners as, you know, things emerge, right? And so what does it look like to be in relationship in the world that we're in, especially now where there's such a reckoning and talking about connected amidst the chaos, that is it. What do we do? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, I think about, folks who are still dating and having to, or like in open relationships where there's still those dynamics, right? Or younger, like teens and tweens, right? Like, I feel like, all right, I'm in my like boring little marriage and we have our own work to do. But folks that are like still out there, like dealing with all of that, there's a lot. So I'm trying to like breathe so I can like think about what I want to say. You know, I have a almost 15 year old boy and having conversations about consent and enthusiastic consent and even that. And then like, you know, raising boys in this climate of like 
girls and non-binary people and trans people like top setting boundaries in ways that before their voices weren't heard, right? And I have like a cisgender straight boy. Oh my God, sometimes white passing, most of the time perceived as a brown kid, right? But usually I'm on the side of the underdog. And now I have the person who often we perceived as a perpetrator is like my baby, right? So thinking about how do we treat everybody like they're our children? So like thinking about our kids and then talking to young folks about, you know, I think that like a lot of young non-males, girls and non-binary folks and trans folks are really learning to say, no, this happened to me. We're going to speak out, right? So important. And then for what percentage of the times is that a trauma response as well? Maybe the thing didn't happen, but it felt like it did, right? So how do we create a nuance of like, maybe you didn't do that to that girl, but she set a boundary and got mad because even you being two feet away from her triggered a fear response and she felt that you were a predator. And so I'm trying to raise my boys to understand that those people aren't lying. They're not trying to bring you down. They just had that feeling in their bodies and that your presence, I mean, my boy is like almost six feet tall. Like your presence, if somebody has a particular history, might feel threatening. And then we have to talk to the black boys in our community. Obviously, like black families have been having that conversation about police, about safety forever. But I think what I've been trying to do with my kids, whether it's about race or gender, is not be like, those people are bad and that's why they do that to you. Those people are traumatized. They're afraid of male bodies and black bodies. And that to me, and I can't speak, you know, I'm not a black bodied person, obviously, so it's not my place to like have an opinion around that. But like even me and my husband talking about, for me, a perspective, like a trauma-informed perspective allows me to have more hope because I'm not like, oh, you're not evil. You're traumatized. So it's not to excuse the behavior, but it's about not dehumanizing anybody. Because I think the most painful thing is when we dehumanize one another. And even for me, like as a social justice activist, like I want to dehumanize like the white man, right? But that's toxic energy to me versus being like, oh gosh, this white man has been grown up, has grown up in a world that's just like, does never pushes his buttons. He's never going to know oppression. So wow, like that's, that's a whole different reality to live in. How do I partner with that person when appropriate to say, hey, like, you're never going to know this in your body, but here's how you can start to learn empathy. So I feel like I just said a lot of things, but I think when we're talking about sex and consent and this age of me too, which is so important, and then understanding it for the folks that might feel, because one of my concerns is people in dominant culture who feel targeted by these boundaries they can then go to a different extreme. The extreme, we don't want them. We don't want them to internalize. Well, I'm bad. I'm a predator. Like, I don't want the young boy who the girls came and said, you know, you touched my butt. And he's like, I didn't, I hugged you. He's such a loving boy. When I was able to sit him down and say, don't close your heart, but understand other people are having this experience. So he can humanize the other person. So I think what I'm really curious about is how do we center our shared humanity in this conversation about boundaries and consent, because it is confusing, especially for young people who are just figuring it out. It is confusing. And so what do those conversations look like? That's what I'm trying to do with my kiddos. It's just the simple acknowledgement that these things exist. And the earlier, like the better, the earlier, the better, the earlier, the better. I'll say it like (laughs) a thousand times. It feels like we're doing tremendous disservice to like our youth to the young people in this world. But also I'm like just watching like how young people are responding in this moment. And I'm just like, 
Wow. Amazing. Wow. Wow. It's true. For you to be Beautiful. in this energy in this moment right now at your age, I'm just like, like you're, you're <laughs> filling me up with like hope for the future. But it's also yes, and and I'm also looking across the street, and I'm like, oh, look at that lovely Trump sign. <sighs> what is happening in this world? I will always orbit joy constantly with all the fire of my being. That is my protest in terms of the world. Period. That's my like my purpose exists in this space and be like own it, exist, and just like just be yourself and acknowledge other people and their pain and don't be a douche. <laughs> I just don't, don't be mean, just be, be as kind as possible. So we have spoken with someone who was a somatic coach before, but I do want to take a little bit of time, Hala, to just talk about this idea of, because um, you've talked about this a lot, you know, feeling into your body and this person's body might've experienced something else, a trauma. So can you just speak about that a little bit as a somatic therapist? What does it mean to experience these things in our bodies versus in our minds and what does it mean to be embodied you know, in that experience? There's a term I really love. It's called interoception. I imagine you all maybe have talked about it, right? So our interoception is our capacity to sense what's happening inside of us. And in many ways, that's what it means to be embodied. It doesn't mean we feel good. I always share the story of many, many years ago, my father was on a respirator. I walked into the hospital and when I saw him, it was so overwhelming. I blacked out, right? And I like dropped to the ground. Everything went black. And in my mind, I was like, my nervous system is overwhelmed and it's shutting down right now. Like I knew what was happening. And, and the nurses all ran to me. They're like, are you okay? And I said, I said that to them. I said, I'm just in a moment of overwhelm. I just need a moment. And I felt my hand on the floor and I just let myself be there. And to me, understanding the workings of the nervous system makes it less scary when we get triggered, right? I wasn't like, oh my God, am I going to pass out? And even when I started to have anxiety in my early 40s, I was able to like be anxious and know everything was okay at the same time. It was still very unpleasant, right? But I had enough awareness to go, huh, my heart is racing. My nervous system is super kicked up and I feel like everyone's going to die. And there's no evidence that anyone's going to die. And I think my body is just doing this thing right now. That's not an accurate reflection of what's happening outside of me. So that was an amazing tool because I think oftentimes people who are struggling with anxiety or depression, it's like they take it literally. They're like, oh, things are bad. I am bad. Bad things are definitely going to happen. And so being able to cultivate the observer and on a very nuts and bolts level, understanding our nervous system, understanding of fight, flight, freeze response, understanding dissociation, right? That, you know, I remember working with someone who was a gang interventionist and he had been in a gang and he was back in the same neighborhood doing gang intervention work. And he got shot on this one corner doing his work. For years after that, he would wake up having nightmares. And every time he'd go to the corner, he'd have a panic attack. And when I explained to him, like, yeah, that's trauma and this is a trigger and this is how it happens. He was like, oh my God, like all this time I thought I was crazy. No, 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 you're not. And just the information allowed him to settle and like start to heal those panic attacks, just understanding what's going on. So I feel like for me, this information is like our user manual for our body. Our body is our instrument. And the more we know how it works, doesn't mean it doesn't break down, doesn't mean we don't need to take it in for repairs or whatever it is, but understanding. And when I work with folks that don't have that understanding, I feel like often it feels like they're like walking in the dark, right? They're moving in the dark and just the information can be liberating. So yeah, to me, that's like somatics being in our bodies. Number one is understanding the workings of the body and being in a practice of attuning to our sensations. 
so we can make distinctions about what's real and what's not real. I'll tell you a story because this is my first, second date with my husband. So we're on our second date and he takes me to sushi and he orders a beer. Now, my dad was an alcoholic. Men and alcohol trigger like a fight, flight, danger response, right? So he orders the beer and I can feel, I'm like, ooh, my heart rate's going up. And now I'm going into bitch mode because my defense against vulnerability <laughs> is I'm going to make you feel really bad about yourself. I start to feel all that. Like, I've met, this is our second date, right? So I'm like, okay, Hala, you're feeling that in your body. You're starting to get a little bitchy. Let's get resource. So right at the sushi restaurant, I like plant my feet on the floor. I take a couple breaths and I feel my nervous system settle, right? And when I settle, I have, I'm able to have some information available to me. Like he didn't finish his beer. Like he didn't get drunk. Like this is a nice human being in front of me. When we're in that fight flight activated state, it's like the alarm bells are going off inside of us and we're seeing the world through those alarm bells. When we can go, oh, the alarm bells are going off, but actually it's a false alarm, or maybe it's not a false alarm, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, I better get out. This is unsafe. We want to be able to make those distinctions. And so I I often say like, I don't think I would have gotten a third date had I not done that because I would have been very unpleasant and passive aggressive and I wouldn't have been able to be with my man, right? (laughs) Wow. I love that. I love the way that you just explained all of that because that's a lot of my MO as well is... To me, the nervous system and understanding it and is just such a gift and such a tool. And one thing I really love about social media is that there's so many therapists and people out there talking about it more, which we need to, the basics, we need sometimes more than the basics, but I do appreciate that as well, that there's more of a conversation that ever has been before about that, like about like, this is what the fight or flight response is. This is what the freeze response is. This is what the ventral vagal pathway is. Let's educate each other and people around this stuff so that we can understand these things. Mm-hmm. Because to be able to be in that space, just like you said, like, I feel a trigger. I feel a fight. I'm going to get bitchy. Like, I know this about myself. And to be able to bear witness to that and then like calm yourself back down or get into regulated space. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I know. I know. It's so empowering. And, you know, and then trying to like raise kids to do that. You know, the other story I often tell, you've probably heard it, Brittany, because you've had a workshop with me, but like the kids, like Sebastian was like four and Marley was two and like Marley broke Sebastian's Lego set. Right. And so Sebastian's trying to hit him. Right. And so the scene is like, I'm standing in between them and Sebastian's like, Marley messed up my Legos and I'm so mad. And the only way I'm going to get the anger out of my body is if I punch Marley in the face. That's like, (laughs) He's aware of his sensations and his impulses, right? And he can put words to them. And so I need him to know he wants to punch his brother so that he cannot punch his brother, right? Like we need to know the impulse because otherwise it's like it happens too fast. And so you can't do that. You know, we get Marley to safety. And then, (laughs) you know, he tries like growling into a pillow, punching something. And a couple minutes later, he's out on the trampoline in the backyard. He's like, mom, I'm on the trampoline. It's working, right? (laughs) Most of us weren't raised with like, acknowledge your sensations and your impulses so that you can then regulate them. We were like, that's bad. Like you should do that. You're a bad person. Well, we never get the tools because we all want to do shitty things. We all have impulses. We get upset. Shame is our biggest barrier, right? Shame for what we're feeling, shame for all that stuff. And so that's the other piece is is acknowledging, acknowledging that stuff and also normalizing it. Like I joke that like I've had the impulse to throw my kids across the room. Like 
I was as a parent who like did not experience physical abuse. I was surprised that like I wanted to throw my beautiful babies across the room. Parents listening, like probably you're relieved. If you're not a parent, you might be judging me. Well, I'm not judging you. <laughs> so like being able to go, oh my God, I want to kick my baby. All right. What's going on? I'm worried that I'm not being a good parent. What's actually going on? All right. Let me take a breath or step away so I can do the right thing. Right. But it starts with the body. It's from the bottom up. There is this one story that you told when we were in a workshop once when your, your kids were little. It's like a sweet one. You were talking about empathy, right? And you were talking about how, how one of your kids wanted to like put carrots like in his pants and then also bring the juicer like into the bed and like juice. Yes, you want to bring the carrot juicer into his bed because <laughs> yeah. that's a reasonable thing to do, right? Just unplug it. And you were like, you can bring like two carrots. And it was like, no. And like, this is your story. So you can talk about it. But like, I remember you saying, and it really stuck with me. This was years ago, how you were like, you don't necessarily like understand why someone would want to bring that in. But it was really important in the moment to him. Right. And so you were able to have that empathy and get on his level of like the frustration of that. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, when somebody else has a very ridiculous need or opinion, the best way to get somebody to listen to you is to listen to them first. Yeah. Yes. So, all right, I'm going to listen about why is it so important to have the carrots and the juicer in your bed? Tell me more about what's fun about that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when he could feel like I had some curiosity about his experience, then it's easy for me to like set the boundary. Right. But if I go right to that's ridiculous, no. Right. So this doesn't apply to all situations, but I think in our close relationships that are chosen, especially when we don't feel heard, for some situations, not all, what does it look like to really listen first? To really listen, not determine that what they're saying is stupid, that you don't agree. It might be stupid and you might not agree. But when the other person feels heard, they're way more likely to then open their ears and hear you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Because <laughs> it's hard. Mm -hmm. when, was, wanna, when someone wants to feel heard, it's it's when so you hard. Wanna, and I want to feel for myself and I want to feel heard, it's really hard to truly drop into hearing yeah. someone else. It's a skill. <laughs> that yeah. takes and look, work. it's not always the appropriate thing to do. Yes. Right? So it's like, I just want to make sure like Absolutely. some people might be in relationships where they're never listened to and they're always right. But it, again, when there's enough health in the relationship, that is, you know, one of the, and like, if it's not an intimate relationship, like say you're talking to somebody about politics or whatever, like ramming down their throat, your politics is not going to get them to shift their views. But getting curious about theirs and asking questions and asking questions, their nervous system settles because you're in curiosity. And then maybe there's an opportunity for you to offer something. So we're going to do a little rapid fire now, some questions, just brief answers if you can. Okay. What makes your belly laugh? When my 12 year old tries to talk in different accents and he's hilarious, my 12 year old makes me belly laugh. What is something you're insecure about? My profile. <laughs> What about it? That's a lovely human right there. I don't, I know, I don't, right? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we're just like, I was but, like, right, that, we're honoring your experience. You're honoring your experience, though. There's probably deeper things, but you wanted the quick answer. That's, that's it. That's <laughs> yeah, let's honor Hala's experience of that, right? I I honor honor like, no, that's not true. I honor you, Hala. I honor you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One way you're taking care of yourself. Getting eight hours of sleep every night. Oh, protecting my sleep. Yes. What is romance to you? Mm, feeling deeply seen. Hell yeah. 
Yes, 100% to that. Mm -hmm. If you could have sex with one famous person, living or dead, who would they be? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say somebody who it was because he's still alive, but Maxwell. Oh. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we used to work out at the same gym in New York City. Oh, oh my God. And I'm telling you, we had a vibe. Whenever we were in the same room, our eyes would lock. Yes. I, 100%. And I did totally never stalked him when he left the gym. So. <laughs> oh, my God. A vibe. I have no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt. Maxwell was like, hello. Uh, <laughs> where is that girl? <laughs> if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, I just discovered it watching Stranger Things, which I'm watching with my son. Is that one that the second girl has, which is you can make people think they're seeing certain things. Oh. That's power. I've never thought about that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in Twilight, too, which oh, yeah, I'm not is. proud of knowing. It's <laughs> in the movie. We watched Twilight many times during pandemic. I mean, the whole thing. Yeah. And Nick made fun of it, but Stranger Things Continu is way cooler. I will make fun of that. <laughs> I'll make fun of that movie continually. Forever. <laughs> okay. If you could have sex anywhere in the world, doesn't have to be like, it could also be magical. It doesn't have to make sense. Where would it be? Mm, I want to say on like in the ocean in Greece, like by the ocean, mm. Greece, those turquoise waters. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. One more. Something that brings you pleasure. Dark chocolate and espresso, which I do every day. Espresso <laughs> and dark chocolate in the afternoon. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes to pleasure. Oh. Folks can buy my book at any local bookstore or online. I have a small membership community called Radical Wellbeing, and it's a really powerful community of folks. We get together, we do two live yoga classes a month, and we do a live check-in, and I have like a catalog of talks and content, and it's a really powerful community of activists and healers and therapists and yoga teachers and just folks that are like regular folks. So those are my two main things. I also train yoga teachers and educators and direct service providers to be trauma-informed. And we have a certification program starting in the fall online. You can find everything on my website. Amazing. And that will be in the show notes. So everyone make sure you check all that out. Hala, this has been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for your insights and the way that you express them. It was really helpful. Mm -hmm. It's been so fun getting to talk with you too. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. That was a really nourishing conversation. It was a deeply nourishing conversation. Lots to relate to, lots to connect to, a lot of information overall, but uh, hopefully people will have something to grab onto. It just feels like human beings in general, just take a deep breath and acknowledge what's going on in front of you. Be as present as possible and acknowledge people are going through different shit that you have not experienced or gone through and just breathe into that. And it's okay. <laughs> like, it's all okay. I noticed you talk a lot on this podcast about like other human beings. Yeah. And more so than you talk about yourself and your own experience. Sometimes you talk about yourself and your own My experience. observations of others is clearer than my observations of myself. Do you think that your observation to others is like sometimes instead of the observations? Any, <laughs> I'm uh, just curious. I don't know. Like, this no, is like but pure it, curiosity. Any advice that I share with people, anything that I say or speak or anything mm -hmm. that I'm commenting on in relation to someone else, I'm always talking to myself. That information is equally as much for me as it is for the, the situation that I'm being reminded of or the, you know, the relationship that I'm thinking about. So anytime I'm giving advice to someone, I'm also talking to myself. But anytime I've messed up in some way, I'm talking to myself. Anytime I'm acknowledging someone else is, is showing up in a certain way, like I'm talking to myself. It's all reflection back on me. 
anything I say. That's helpful to know. Mm-hmm. That was coming up for me a little bit today. I was like, sure. Huh. Yeah. It's just the most transparent and clearest thing for me to kind of connect and relate stories of my interactions with other people. Or And that's me kind of acknowledging that in this moment. That is a big way how I relate. Like by expressing and talking about others. Yeah. I just wonder how it would feel like to put it right in your own seat. It feels fine, but just feels, I don't know, go-to as a way of expressing myself in yeah. terms of topics and terms yeah. of the podcast in general. Okay. Yeah. I think that's okay. <laughs> I just wanted to know. I figured I'd ask you on here. Thanks for getting curious, Brittany. Right? <laughs> yeah. I think for me, um, without sharing my private moments and thoughts, because sometimes it's nice to be discerning, especially as someone who puts a lot of stuff out there. That was really helpful for me to hear because I'm struggling with a few things right now in regards to relationship. It was just nice to hear some of that, those reminders, all of which, most of which will say I I already know. Yeah. Sometimes it's really nice to hear someone say something in a different way. Absolutely. And to be like, oh yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought to myself, wow, we were in conversation that, Mm -hmm. that this was useful for you. It was. It really was. And and it was hard also for me not to go into deep detail because that is my MO is to be like, okay, let me talk about all the things in complete detail. And so sometimes that's my work is to be discerning just for my own benefit of, um, I mean, yes, safety, but like more so just like in a world that we like share everything now, like so much is put out there. Like we don't always have to do that. Yeah. We can be discerning. And I mean this more in a public standpoint, in a sense of like, we can be discerning on what we share with the world. Absolutely. And we should be, I think. <laughs> like not everyone needs to hear all the thoughts that are going on in my head. Like not yeah. at all. Like I'm going to think about this for a second. Then I'll share that thing. Maybe, yeah. maybe one thing. And I'm going to share a thousand things that pop up in my head mm-hmm. constantly. I just don't feel like mm, no one needs that. Well, I don't even mean just like the thoughts, but I even mean like some of the deeper stuff, oh, right? Yeah. Like something that you're going through or something that like, like we don't have to share all of that with the world. No, no. that's As well as our, all of our thoughts. Definitely not exactly. all of our thoughts. The way I'm looking at it is it's more in the space of like read the room situation and mm-hmm. like, you know, sometimes you can share some things and sometimes it's like, no, just keep it to yourself and that's yours. No, yeah. that's no one else's. Yeah. And I like that. Like that's yours. Mm-hmm. And like, I have things that are really sacred to me that I don't know if I'll ever talk about. Sometimes I think that I might, and I allude to a lot of it, you know, like me moving through trauma and whatnot, but I don't know if I'll ever really fully share that with like, you know, public sense because I don't have to, that's not entwined with my healing. No. Right. And so I've thought about it and I might, like, I don't, I'm not saying yes or no. Right. But I am saying right now that's not happening for a very real reason of like, I really want to honor the sacredness of like my experience as a human being right? and, and to recognize that um, we don't have to share everything. That's a beautiful place to end it right there. <laughs> With the sharing. With the sharing. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Follow Hala Corey at Hala Yoga on Instagram. That's H-A-L-A Yoga. And check out Hala's website at halakori.com, H-A-L-A-K-H-O-U-R-I.com. Follow me at sexually underscore liberated on Instagram and check out my website at brittanypolacastro.com. Also, we are on Twitter. It's K-Table Podcast. Follow me at Nick Anthony Photo on Instagram and check out my website at nickantony.com. 
editing by Audionauts, music by Greta Hopmer. And like, subscribe, follow this podcast. Give us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If you're really digging it, five stars would be awesome. It really does help. And share this podcast with someone who you think could benefit. Help us spread the kitchen table love, (laughs) y'all. Until next time.